0: Welcome back to this series, Week 2, Me and My Big Mouth. I am excited about this series, but it's a really hard series for me because every session that I prepare is kind of convicting. And um, maybe you're not like me. Maybe you've got this thing wired and you don't have a problem with you and your big mouth. But every time I start studying more deeply, it's like, whoa, whoa. Uh, and so that might be the case for you. If you're feeling that today, just know I'm feeling it too. And please know, God loves you. And he's trying to help you to figure out how to enjoy life more. Uh, we began the series last week with Jesus' words at Luke 6. And here's what Luke 6 says. Can you put that up for me? Thank you. A good man brings good things. Out of the good stored up in his heart. And we talked about this coffee mug as an illustration of our life. That when life gets upset, boom, whatever's stored inside kind of spills out. Sometimes it's a surprise to us what comes out. Because that's what's stored inside. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So, last week we're talking about complaining. This week we're talking about criticism. Criticism. So, ouch. Mm. Here's the thing. Someone once said, before you criticize someone, step into their shoes and walk a mile. Now presumably, I think what he's getting at is that way if you criticize them, you'll be a mile away and you'll have their shoes. Actually, there's probably another reason for that. And whatever the advice is there, we're going to go better than that one. I think that's good advice to step into the other person's shoes so you're not criticizing. We're going to learn some more and hopefully get a hold of some things that are kind of near and dear to our lives and will help us out. Here's the focus, and I put it in, in as if it's for me on purpose. I'll be happier when I break my criticism habit. I'll be happier when I break my criticism habit. Well, here's a corollary that kind of goes with that, and so will everybody else around me. They'll be happier too when I break my criticism habit. But the thing that's funny is most people don't usually think of their own lives being happier when they stop their criticism habit. Now, Maybe it's obvious already what kind of criticism we're going to be talking about today. We're not talking about constructive criticism. I mean, there's a place and a time for constructive criticism to really help somebody out. Out of love, come alongside and bring some constructive criticism. We're not talking about that kind of criticism today. We're talking about destructive criticism. Okay? And destructive criticism is easy to see when other people are doing it. Okay? That's why when I say, hey, we're not talking about constructive criticism. We're talking about destructive criticism. That's why some people in here, they actually go, all right, this is a perfect day. My husband came. <laughs> or my wife came. I sure hope they listen. Or, man, I hope this is good because if it's good, I'm going to send this link to my boss. Or whatever it is, you know, where it's easy to see in other people. But please remember what series we're in. We are in the series called Me and my big mouth. We're not in this series called Them and Their Big Mouth. All right? So I'm going to encourage you to do the difficult thing, and to listen to this message for you and try to evaluate you and only you. Okay? Now, here's why I need to say that. It's really important to say that because here's the deal. We can see destructive criticism in other people so easily... And destructive criticism is very difficult to see in the mirror. It's hard for us to see when our criticism, which is destructive, is destructive. Here's why. Whenever we criticize someone, we've thought it through, and we know they deserve it. And it's constructive. They need to hear this. And if you're like me, you're right, and they're wrong. And they need to know. And if you're like me, you're fast on your feet. And you just take them down. And you use point number one. Point number one A. Point number one B. And you can keep going. And it, you think you're helping. And, ah, oh, Then you get walk away from the thing. You go, oh, wow. That was not helpful. It's very difficult to see in the mirror when you think, I'm Right? And when have you criticized anybody that you thought you were wrong, right? Think about that. We don't criticize people when we think we're wrong, or if we do, we've hidden it so well that we think we're right while we're doing it because they deserve it, right? And that's kind of where we're coming from. So it's very difficult to see how our constructive criticism is actually destructive. And so we need to kind of go deep today and it's going to kind of be hard to process a little bit because, ouch, ooh, I go here, and maybe you do too. If you don't, just sit there and gloat. Like I said last week, hey, I've got this one. Hmm. Anyway. So we're going to come about this from a, a, a different angle at first. So here's the question I want us to work on. Do you think you can go for 24 hours without saying texting or posting any unkind words to anyone or about anyone. Just, do you think you can? Now, if you think this is easy, I challenge you to strictly scrutinize every text, every post, every word for 24 hours and see if this is as easy as you think. Now that we're saying, is it negative? Is it going to be kind of hitting them as a negative? Evaluate yourself. Because if you think this is hard, and a lot of people do, they think, wow, 24 hours, that's tough. Is it possible that you are addicted to criticizing? Addicted to criticism. Now, let me just slow this thought down a little bit. If you can't go for 24 hours without a drink of alcohol, there's a really good chance that you're addicted. To alcohol. If you can't go for 24 hours without a cigarette, there's a really good chance you're addicted to nicotine. All right, I I have a hard time going 24 hours without coffee, so yes, I'm addicted to coffee. Uh, All right, so there are addictions, right? And we have telltale signs that these are addictions. Why would anybody be addicted to criticism? And yet, there are little payoffs every time we dig somebody else and criticize somebody else. We kind of feel better about ourselves as we evaluate we're right, they're wrong and make ourselves feel better because they're messed up and I'm at least better than that and to-do-do-do and whoa, watch out. You can be addicted to criticism. Hmm. Now, we're going to get into... Two points. If you're ready on your outline, there's two points, and we're going to do both of them at once, and the blanks will be filled in, and then you can listen. I'm putting two points together at the same time because as we go through the scriptures together, we're going to discover that these two points often are back to back, contrast and compare type points right within the very scriptures that we're looking at. So here are the points. We're going to look at them back to back kind of compare and contrast as we write them down. Now, because they're difficult, I wrote them down almost as prayers. Lord, I don't want to be a fault finder. Okay? Now, it's easy for us to not want to be a fault finder because as we see fault finders, I mean, seriously, think about this. When there's somebody that's really critical and they're destructively criticizing people and you see that in somebody else, do you ever go, man, I want to be just like him? We don't. We see it as destructive. It's easy to see in somebody else. It's more difficult to see in ourselves because we've already justified it. That's why we said it. We already think it's constructive because we're right and they're wrong. I'm cool and they're a jerk and we just need to talk about it or whatever. Okay? And we we think there's a reason to get there. But here's a thought before we move on. One of the names for the devil in the Bible, I don't know if you believe in the devil or not, I do, One of the names for the devil in the Bible is the accuser. When we are a fault finder, we are more like the devil than we are like Christ. When we are a fault finder and we're leveling criticisms against people, even if you're right and you're leveling it in a way that's not helpful but destructive, you're more like the devil than you are like Christ. Now, um, that whole fault-finding thing is tough. Some people just, I mean, it, it's addictive. You see it. You say it. You're thinking you're being helpful. Hmm, fault-finder. Be careful. Lord, I don't want to be a fault-finder. Uh, because I'm not going to get back to this topic. The devil's really wild. He attempts he you to do something, and he, he makes it so attractive, he makes it something that you finally fall and do, and the next thing he does, as soon as you do it, is then he accuses you. Ah, look at you, you did it. You will never be loved by God. I mean, look at you, you're really, really bad. You messed up, and how could you even claim to be a Christian? So he tempts you to do the thing, and then next thing he, you know it, he is the accuser in your face telling you how bad you are for doing the thing he tempts you to do. So just think about those things. It's like, whoa, I don't want to be anything like that. Point number two, what we want to be like, Lord, I want to be a hope dealer. Let's be really careful here. This is an H, not a D. (laughs) I want to be a hope dealer. Hope dealer, okay? There's a similarity with a dope dealer and a hope dealer in that in order to be a dealer, you have to have supply, A lot of it. You have to have an ongoing supply to be a dealer. And so we're going to talk about that as we go. To be a hope dealer, you have to have supply. Okay? Now, um, let's jump into the scripture in Galatians. This is Paul writing to the church and early in his ministry, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. I said a little sarcastically, you could go, ah, love your neighbor as yourself. Ah, that feels good. Yeah, that's good. That's where we should be. Anybody disagree? Good. Because I'm going to cash you out of here if you were. No, no, no. Uh, Love your neighbor as yourself. Yourself, Ah, feels good. Then the compare and contrast, the next thing says, if you bite and devour each other, which obviously is the opposite of love your neighbor, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. For whatever reason, I've got this picture. It's a cartoon image because you can't do it in real life. Bite and destroy each other, devour each other. I've got this picture because we as a church, okay, we're one body. Can we bite and devour each other to where we're destroyed? Yes. But picture this cartoon image where a snake begins to bite his tail. Okay, you got this loop? The snake starts biting his tail and bite, 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 gone. And you can only do that in a cartoon, right? Bite and devour to the point of gone. The body of Christ can do that. I've seen churches do it. Where they bite and devour, bite and devour, gone. Literally, bit and devour each other into oblivion. Church no longer exists. Ooh. We're talking about some really serious stuff when it comes to criticism and language. It's like dangerous biting and devouring. Now, if this is the truth, I didn't grow up with this truth. I grew up with another truth that some reason sticks easier than this truth. I didn't remember this one like... But the one I remember is, sticks and stones may break your bones, but I'm just wondering if that was still something we learn. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Which is the truth? This one, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Is that the truth or is the truth? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Well, the little thing, the jingle that we learned as a kid that started in the 1800s, by the way, I just kind of want to know, is it still a jingle? Do people under 30 know this one still? If you're under 30, raise your hand if you heard it. Okay, so it's still a jingle. You heard it too. We're perpetuating the lie, okay? And here's the lie. The lie is, oh, don't let words hurt you because words can't hurt you. Frankly, I'd rather have my arm broken than some words. Because the woundedness of some of these words can last a lifetime. I bet you every one of us can think of a verbal criticism that didn't go away, that sticks in our heart and still hurts years later, right? Here's another scripture. Here's why. Jesus in Matthew 7 verse 2 says, for in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, one way to look at this, and it might be okay, so if I'm really critical and I criticize people, then God is going to judge me according to that measure of criticism. Mm, okay. I think there's another way to look at this, and maybe both are true, but I think this just describes reality. When I go, face-to-face face with somebody, I say, you, and it says, back to you, buddy, you, and then it gets bigger. Oh, yeah? Well, then you, that's how it goes, right? You measure out criticism, and then criticism at the same weight and volume comes right back at you, and it's coming boom, 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 boom. You bite and devour and destroy. Whew. Criticism has the way of destroying intimacy in marriage. Criticism has a way of destroying emotionally children and creating emotional distance, parents, when you are criticizing your children in a way that's destructive. Emotional distance is created with this criticism. Criticism has a way of making it so that when we believers, whether it's in the workplace or with each other and a non-believer is listening, the non-believer just tunes out to the grace and goodness of God because this is so foreign to that. It changes people for eternity or it has the possibility of doing that. So this is a huge, really important topic that Jesus addresses to us. Let's lighten it up a little bit with some quotes that come from Carnegie, Dale Carnegie, I believe it's from his influencing friends and that one. I can't remember. Any fool can criticize, condemn, and complain, and most fools do. But it takes character and self-control to be understanding and forgiving. It's a lot easier to criticize, a lot harder to be understanding and forgiving. Abilities wither under criticism. They blossom under encouragement. Okay, so those of you who are parents, remember this. You can cause your kids to blossom under encouragement or wither under criticism. Employers, remember this. Supervisors. Remember this, you can cause the people to blossom and get better with your choice positive encouragements and cause them to wither and shrivel and get worse with your criticisms. Where did Dale Carnegie get this? Let's go to Proverbs. I think he gets it from places like this. The words of the reckless pierce like swords. The tongue of the wise brings healing. Do you see the compare and contrast here in Proverbs 12, 18? The words of the reckless pierce like swords. Okay, what do swords do? Kill. What do the reckless words do? Kill. What do healing words do? Heal. (laughs) Give life, all right? Give life. And here we have an incredible compare and contrast. And we're used to even using the language of swords Cutting if you've been criticized you have thought of it as a cut. I mean we used to say this in high school. That was a cut That was a cut down That's a cutting remark and sometimes people they get their legs cut out from under them with a Criticizing word and so the Proverbs is saying sometimes there's a word of death inserted with just words as opposed to words of life and healing A young man had his first sermon. The preacher uh, talked him through, coached him, prepared him, and gave him the prime sermon slot. He literally had 36-minute slot to preach before the church. His first one, young, first ever, coached him, got him ready, and here he goes. And he began to go, and he was using humor, and someone chuckling with him, and he was using more humor, and they're chuckling with him, and then he used some humor, and it was too crude for them, and everything went south. And all of a sudden, the, his face got red. And he got that sinking feeling. Pssst, I hate that as a public speaker. It's like, it's, this didn't go well. That didn't come out right. Oops, and there's no getting out of it. And you just he, he immediately looked to his wife for some encouragement, and she just said, you know, just gonna get it done he was sinking and the audience was instead of smiling they are crossways on him and he went through the rest of his sermon and and wrapped it to a conclusion brought it to an end and it was exactly 18 minutes long half the time that he had scheduled to preach and it just withered and if it wasn't bad enough At this particular church, like in many churches, it was the tradition that the preacher then goes to the entrance, or the exit as the case may be, and shake everybody's hand and hear everybody's comments, and the comments were not fun. One particular lady shook his hand and he said, I sure hope you're good at something else because you will never make it as a preacher. Talk about cutting words. It was his aspiration to follow the call of God, to be a preacher in his first sermon. That's the response. The good thing is that in a matter of minutes when people left the parking lot, his pastor, his mentor, the one that tried to prepare him for this day, took him into the office and he says, well, it's only gonna go up from here. (laughs) Hey, you preached 18 minutes. My first sermon was 15. And he says, I know that one comment just didn't quite go the way you thought it was going to go. That's, but here, listen, you made some really good points that I didn't even know. You really studied on this one. And there's something else I want to tell you. You have a passion when you speak that is coming through the words that you speak. And that's something that nobody can train. You believe what you're saying. And it came through. You're going to do great. You know who this guy was? His name is Craig Groeschel. He is now the pastor of the largest church in America. He's at Life Church. The average weekend attendance is 53,000. There is 27 campuses and growing and counting. Every campus is completely paid for. He, and this church... They have this value called um, irrational generosity, and there's a whole story behind it, but they produce the YouVersion Bible app, which is free. 300 million people have downloaded the YouVersion Bible app, which is a powerful Bible reading program, Bible study. All the translations are, are available for free. I, that's the Bible of choice that I use on my phone. 300 million and rising. He has changed the climate of church across America because now they give everything they do away. You want to learn from us? We're giving it away. We're not selling anything because generosity, God is generous to us. We're just giving it away, and it's changing a lot of places. Can you imagine what would have happened if that preacher didn't bring words of healing immediately after those words that cut him down? And then I have this interesting question, and it comes from Ephesians 4. I wonder if that little lady who had been in church most of her life read this verse. And, of course, the answer is, of course she did. I wonder if this verse was on her mind when she took him to task. And here's the surprising answer. I believe she would read this verse and justify herself instead of see it for herself. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. That's where she'd hang on to it, because she's righteous, she's taking down this gentleman because he had used something that was kind of crude humor in church, out of bounds, and she was taking him to task. You better find something else to do because you'll never be a preacher but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. In her mind, you ought not to be a preacher because you aren't helpful using that kind of story and that kind of language and that kind of thing in church. And you're never going to be a preacher because you don't know how to build people up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. People, the reason why this is so convicting is I can be that woman. I can grab a hold of scriptural truth and apply it in a cutting way to take somebody to task when that same truth is speaking about me, only speak what is helpful for the building of others up. What if I didn't take the person to task but only tried to build them up according to their needs, not the holy needs of the church, but their individual needs? That it may benefit those who listen. It's very difficult to see how our criticism, which is righteous, slips into destruction and we don't see it in the mirror because we think we're right. How does this help us though? If we want to be a hope dealer, how do we become a hope dealer? Romans, Paul tells us in chapter 15, verse 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Last week, we took a look at this coffee mug as an illustration of our life, of the things that we're supposed to store up in our lives so that when the time comes, we can pour out of our mouth the right kind of stuff. If we store the wrong stuff, garbage in, garbage out. If if we store the right stuff, grace in, grace out. But this now tells us there's one more step. It isn't our effort to store and memorize and, and collect all the good stuff. There's something that God is wanting to do for us, may The God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope. And now this hope that we want to be a dealer of has to have a supply, and that supply is supernatural in supply. It is inexhaustible. And so I want us to picture this a little bit. If this is my life, the way that I have an inexhaustible supply of hope is I place my life in Christ, and Christ places himself in me. This is a scriptural set of phrases that occur frequently, that we're in Christ and Christ in me. How does that work? Imagine me putting this underneath the flow of a waterfall. Under the waterfall, I'm in Christ, completely submerged, completely immersed, completely inside and out under the waterfall. But it's now overflowing from inside of me, overflowing. You cannot out-be-nice God. (laughs) The more nice you are, the more overflowing it is. You can't out-grace God. You can't out-hope. You can't just encourage and run out of... I've given all the encouragement I got. I got none left. No. The encouragement just keeps coming and coming and coming. The more you build up, the more you're being built up. The supply just fills and fills and overflows and do you see from the text we have an invitation here it's an invitation to us may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust him so that you may overflow with hope anybody want to be in in on that Hey, here's the invitation to us. May we be in on the overflow to bless others with a supernatural supply that doesn't come from ourselves as we enter into Christ and have Christ enter into us we receive the joy and the peace and the life from Him. Now you need to understand, this doesn't mean we focus on, yep, I accepted Christ, in my case, 40-something years ago, and I'm in Christ, and Christ is in me, positionally. No, we're talking about what we heard on the communion. We're talking about life now. He is life now. I position myself for the life now. The life. You're the source. I'm coming to you. Fill me. Fill me in overflow. Give me the joy and the peace and the overflow that I place myself in you and sustain my life from you that I may bless others. That's what we're talking about. It's life now. Too many believers are thinking of Christianity is something that happened when I gave my life to the Lord then, and someday I'm going to be there. I'm talking about life now, overflowing in me, supernaturally supplied in me to bless other people. I want that as I trust Christ. Once you're there, you have to stay there. Keep going back to there. Experience that, you'll be surprised. Things will happen and you didn't even try. It's a little thing, but it comes back at you as a big thing for somebody else because the overflow came from God through you to another. And it blesses God again, comes back to you and you hear about it, really? Wow. From God, through you, you thought nothing of it, came to another, blessed them, came back to you, really? Here's one of those stories. There is a little-known Congressional program that awards internships to young people who have aged out of the foster care system. These are kids who were never adopted and are no longer eligible for state support. A senator employed one such young man as an intern. One morning, the senator breezed in for a meeting and discovered that this intern had already was already in the office reorganizing the entire mailroom the senator said to the intern, this is amazing. The mailroom has never looked so clean. You did a great job. A few minutes later, the senator saw that the intern had tears streaming down his face. He said, son, are you okay? Yes, the intern answered quietly. Did I say something to offend you? No, no sir. What's wrong? The young man said, that's that's the first time in my life anyone's told me that I did something good. In the foster care system his whole life, maybe somebody said something good to him before. He could not think of any particular time anybody said something good, and now he is blossoming with the first drop of dew and rain that said you're doing good. Brought to tears. A little bit of attention and a kind word That's how little it takes to affect someone's life for the better. I uh, wrote a prayer to finish today's thought, topic. And I want you to know that when I wrote it, I wrote it for me. But I want to bring it before you for all of us. But I say that because... There's a portion in this prayer that I wrote out, and it's a lengthy one. It's going to take three slides for us to get through. There's a portion of this prayer that I wrote out where it sounds like it would be for the person that's thinking about having Jesus be their Savior for the first time. But that's not how I wrote it. I wrote it as I need Jesus to be my Savior again. I need Jesus to be my Savior, the Savior of my mouth. I need Jesus. So it's a perfect appropriate kind of statements for believers to say to ask Jesus to help them control their mouth. But I will say this, if you're not sure you're a believer in Jesus Christ yet, when we said this is an invitation to you, may the God of hope fill you, Jesus is inviting you in. Jesus invites you into a new covenant that he started when he gave his life up, was buried and rose from the dead. And the whole New Testament is about how you can enter into this new covenant with Jesus to have this kind of overflowing hope. If that's something you kind of would like, but you're not sure you believe it yet, I think it's appropriate to pray this prayer to see if what Jesus says is a reality. To ask Jesus to do this in you. To start a relationship with a person you don't really know yet. And like in any relationship, you get to know that person as you're conversing with them and seeing if what they say works, and interacting back and forth. So may this be the beginning of your journey, if I'm describing you as standing on the outside wanting to receive the hope that Jesus invites you to. Would you stand with me? We're going to be reading together out loud. If at any point you feel like, no, I can't say that, then just don't say it but I hope that this will call up in you a desire for the hope that Jesus brings to you. We'll read it slowly. We'll read it out loud. Let's pray it together. Dear Lord, I don't want to be a fault finder. I want to be a hope dealer. I have been too critical. I often fail to see people the way you do. You love people and see them as people who desperately need more of your grace and love, just as I do. You and I both know that I don't have an adequate solution for me and my big mouth, but you do. You are my Savior. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice on the cross to take away all of the darkness flowing from my heart. Thank you for your resurrection power, giving me new life and hope. Renew me, restore me, and fill me with your Spirit. Help me to establish new patterns of grace-fueled thoughts and speech. I want to honor you with my mouth. Dear Lord, with your help, I will stop tearing people down. I will build people up. I have been blessed to be a blessing. I have been given grace to give grace. I have been forgiven, so I will be more forgiving. I will be kind and accept others as you have been kind to me and accepted me. I will speak words of encouragement and hope in Jesus' name and with his power. Amen. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's bring honor to the name of Jesus and ask for his help to do it. God bless you.